You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With SixthSense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixthSense, visit SixthSense.com. Well, my passion has always been a greater understanding of the financial sector due to the nature in which they are targeted by the most elite hacker crews in the world and the fact that I used to work at the World Bank Treasury Security Team. That's Tom Kellerman. He's Chief Cybersecurity Officer at Carbon Black. The research we're discussing today is titled Modern Bank Heists, Cyber Attacks and Lateral Movement in the Financial Sector. Given the recent geopolitical tensions of late, you see an escalation in cyberspace And you also see that some of the greatest hackers in the world are becoming more punitive with their actions. So we decided to reach out to a number of financial institutions, over 40 financial institutions that were customers of Carbon Blacks, to ask them some very tough questions. Questions not specific to the vector that was employed to attack them, but more about the experience they had thereafter for the various stages of the the kill chain or the MITRE attack methodology. So why don't we uh, just start off and, and set the table for us. What are the most popular methods that they're using to get into these systems? So to get into these systems, you know, you're still seeing a tremendous amount of spear phishing, but you're also seeing watering hole attacks where good websites are leveraging um, fileless malware against people who visit specific pages. You're seeing also uh, quite a bit of island hopping through technical service providers where they're using a compromised network of a technical service provider to target 
the infrastructure of a financial institution as well. But once they get in, it's really a question of what they're doing beyond stealing money or manifesting front running or different types of, of financial fraud schemes. So take us through what were some of the key findings here? What was reported back to you all? They were very much experiencing a spike in fileless malware, memory resident malware, malware where they're using good tools against the infrastructure, whether it was PowerShell or WMI or .NET or even SSH for that matter. 44% of the respondents had the serious concerns about the security posture of the technology service providers, the TSPs as known in the sector. 23% also experienced counter-incident response this year. And the adversary is literally reacting to them. And that, and that really highlights the, the escalation in the environment of hackers becoming more punitive. I mean, essentially, we've moved from the original attacks against the financial sector in 1995 to, to present day from burglary to essentially home invasion. Mm. And of those, close to 9% were suffering from destructive attacks that were not ransomware, where the adversary is actually destroying the integrity of systems, databases, uh, manipulating time, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what's the rationale behind that? Or is it being used as misdirection? Or, or uh, why destroy things if what you're after is money? Well, there's two, there's probably three rationales behind that, I would say, but two specifically that we should highlight. One is the, the nature in which they understand that you've called law enforcement or that you're becoming, you're very effective in conducting incident response. So as they see you attempting to terminate their command and controls, as they see you tendering back and forensically trying to pinpoint their location and their infrastructure, they may choose to destroy the evidence. Sometimes, though, they react viscerally knowing they, they lie in a country that doesn't have an extradition treaty with the U.S. And they react viscerally because they got what they came for, which was to steal money or steal identities or, or to take a, a position on a portfolio manager's desktop. But after which, you know, they may choose to become more patriotic in their hacking activities. You see recently since 2014, and that's recent since this has been going on since 1995, You've seen some of the very best hackers in the world who were Russian-speaking, who were targeting financial institutions over time, act as cyber militia members for Russia, and do very nefarious things part-time to show homage to the regime. And that was mainly done to retain their untouchable status, their unimpeachability from uh, law enforcement agencies around the world. Now, another uh, trend that you noted in the research was the prevalence of ransomware. Yeah, 90% of them were dealing with ransomware attacks, but that wasn't really what was most concerning for them. Again, what was most concerning for them was the fact that they were dealing with counter-incident response, that they felt that their technical service providers were inadequately secured and protected, and that they were seeing more destructive attacks being leveraged that weren't ransomware, were, were actually, you know, they were never being even asked for ransom for that matter. Now, things like not petty-style attacks. Also, what I found interesting was Obviously, Russia led the list of most concerning threat actor groups for these folks. But, you know, North Korea had really risen in terms of uh, the imports that they were paying attention to them. It's not just because of the wire transfer frauds being leveraged by Lazarus Group or the very elegant campaigns of attack by Hidden Cobra, which are two known actor groups in North Korea. But it's the fact that the North Koreans and Iranians were beginning to utilize the kill chain that was customized and operationalized by the Russians of late. You were seeing such high levels of sophistication from these two typically non-sophisticated threat actor groups 
that the financial institutions were taking note. And what I found interesting through previous conversations and then post-conversations that I had at the FSISAC, the big financial sector security summit that just took place this week, is they saw noticeably that these countries were using hackers as national assets, but more importantly, they were doing the hacking purposely to offset economic sanctions. I suppose we hear regularly in the news that that's a common um, tactic of North Korea in particular. They have a, a limited ability to bring in funds in other ways, but hacking is still available to them. Correct. And the hackers, the North Korean hacker community has become much more sophisticated. And since they are literally using the very best playbook in the world, which is the Russian dark web kill chain playbook, and since they have access to not only zero day exploits, but more importantly, they see the utility in using memory resident malware within good use tools like WMI, PowerShell, like SSH, they understand the weaknesses in the architectures. And frankly, the weaknesses in the architectures are simply put that the architectures are outward facing. They have limited visibility into lateral movement. There's implicit trust placed on certain protocols, user groups, and subnets, and that's to a folly. And so now I think there needs to be a, a shift, architectural shift within the sector as a whole. The, the current security standards in the financial sector are not effective against this escalation of threat. And so what, what do you think that shift needs to look like? Well, I think recommendations I would make were, number one, is they need to employ more ironboxing. Ironboxing being a term related to modern whitelisting, which goes beyond traditional whitelisting. They need to do much more micro-segmentation. They need to deploy adaptive authentication that's based on risk. Can you dynamically know your customer and or user in real time by challenging them to use new forms of authentication and biometrics specific to their entity themselves? Are you using next-gen endpoint protection? Have you stood up a hunt team? And is that hunt team equipped with things like EDR? You know, I found it shocking that 63% of respondents in the financial sector had yet to stand up a hunt team. I mean, if they could just do one thing just to start, they should stand up a hunt team. That'll give them zero false positives that they already have compromises through their infrastructure. A hunt team is not an incident response team. It's not reacting to telemetry or a warning from law enforcement suggesting that something's already been compromised. You're literally looking for a compromised system in real time from inside out without warning, and you're doing it regularly. Now, looking at the range of the bad guys that are out there, one of the things that the uh, report uh, indicates is uh, which nations these CISOs are most concerned about. Can you give us a rundown on that? Yeah, and the majority of them are most concerned with Russian, Russian activity, whether it's state-sponsored Russian activity or the major criminal syndicates of the Russian dark web who are targeting the financial sector as a whole, followed by the Chinese, uh, who have become much more active due to the tensions in the South China Sea, and also due to the reality that the Chinese have learned well that in the past they were too loud with their activities and they needed to become much more clandestine and targeted. But the Chinese is a different type of attack or a threat vector to these financial institutions. The Chinese don't want to steal money from the financial institutions. The Chinese do want to know what positions these financial institutions are going to be taking vis-a-vis their investment strategies and or merger and acquisition strategies. And then they're very, very concerned about the North Koreans. And then some of them are becoming more concerned about the Iranians because of uh, the manifestation of, of geopolitical tension that is a direct result of us walking away from the nuclear treaty. Now, is your sense that these uh, CISOs feel as though the problem is getting away from them? Do you feel like 
they feel like they have sufficient tools? Uh, are they gaining or are they losing ground? You know, the one positive element of the responses that I've heard, both in person at the FSI second through the survey, is they have sufficient resources, uh, financial resources. They're suffering from a massive human capital shortage, number one. And number two is they're trying to consolidate tools. They have too many tools right now. They need tools that are fully integrated now, that are more proactive, tools that are focusing on anomalous behavior versus signature or versus perimeter. They need nuanced tools, but the most important aspect in their shift now has been to to really get down from the 12 to 15 tools that they're using now to about three to five, and then focus their human resources on those three to five tools to secure their environment. The second priority is really how can they secure their information supply chain? They are fully aware that they have externalities and systemic weaknesses within the outside general counsels that service them and marketing firms. Certainly within the financial world, there's been a lot of consolidation. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, the large banks have uh, bought up a lot of those smaller neighborhood banks. Is that a concern for these folks? Is there, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, genetic diversity? Have they put many of their eggs in one basket, if you will? So the number one concern is when they acquire these smaller institutions is whether or not these smaller institutions still have backdoors, Trojan horses, rootkits installed in these systems which is why establishing a hunt team is so fundamental in today's world. They need a specific team that's multidisciplinary, that has incident responders, pen testers, and cyber intelligence professionals using EDR tools to go into these environments and ascertain whether or not there's already uh, weaknesses and or footprints of an adversary that's lying in wait. How much of what's driving their activities is driven by policy? Having to meet regulations versus uh, the policy lagging behind their practical needs day-to-day to to protect their systems? The smaller institutions, not all, but most, are very compliance-focused for obvious reasons. The larger institutions are compliance-oriented, but they are much more strategic because of the nature that they are larger targets, and they are being targeted more often, and they've dealt with some very elegant kill chains and lateral movement techniques. Again, the financial sector is the most secure sector in America, and globally for that matter, against cyber attacks. But they're also playing against the best hackers in the world. They're fighting against nation states as well. And so regardless of the resources they have at their disposal and the the advanced nature of their security posture, that is balanced out and marginalized by the advanced nature of the adversary. The goal now for most systems in the financial sector is to decrease dwell time. Their return on investment on their cybersecurity controls and personnel and those correspondent budgets is truly specific to have they decreased the amount of time that it took them to become situationally aware of an adversary within their infrastructure information supply chain from this year to last. And as much as that sounds like them giving in, it's not. You know, frankly, the, the name of the game now has to be intrusion suppression. The adversary is in your environment. How do you suppress that adversary? How do you detect, divert, deceive, contain, and then hunt an adversary, unbeknownst to an adversary, until law enforcement or your outside general counsel are ready to make a move? Our thanks to Tom Kellerman from Carbon Black for joining us. The report is titled Modern Bank Heists, Cyber Attacks and Lateral Movement in the Financial Sector, 
You can find it on the Carbon Black website. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.